0: Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys here. Welcome to church at Living Waters. My name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here at church. Thankful that you guys are joining us this morning. Um, If you have a copy of God's Word, if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to be reading in uh, this morning's service verses 1 through 11. So if you could just go ahead and grab your Bibles, we're going to read through that. As you get there, I just wanted to make a little bridge and make a few comments and just talk to you guys for a little bit. Number one, I thank God for each one of you. I thank God for you. And here's what I mean I am thankful that of all the places you could have been today, and the state fair being one of them, you you chose to be here. Like, that is a decision. That you made at some point, either last night or this morning. So whether it was planned out or it was a last second decision, God is in that decision. And I praise God for you. Like, I praise God that you're here. And again, I want to encourage you because you came, if you're a Christian or you're a believer in Jesus, you came to experience God. Amen? That's why you're here. It's not because of any other thing. And I I want to just praise God that you came for God, because God is the reason we are all here. Amen? And sometimes you just got to say the obvious things so that you don't go crazy. Amen? And so I just thank God that you're here. Personally, I am so grateful for so many reasons to be preaching the Bible this morning to you. And that has a lot to do with COVID. I had COVID and it's really bad, not fun. But my, my empathy levels are way high. <laughs> my gratitude levels are way high. So I, I just want to say I love you guys. I'm so thankful that you are here. And may God be praised, right? As we read his word, as we get into the gospel, may he be praised. Thank you for being here. Let's uh, let's pray um, after we read the word. So let's read verses 1 through 11, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll start in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing these words to the Corinthian church. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast, "...to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and that's Peter, then to the twelve... And he also appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one ultimately untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I, Paul, am the least of the apostles, Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So whether it was I or they, So we preach, and so you believed. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Lord, what a privilege (coughs) it is this morning to worship you, God. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus your Son, the Holy Spirit in this room, moving through the word of God, Lord, we don't take this moment for granted. This is a gift from your hand. So God, we pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, come and speak to my heart. Come and speak to the hearts of every person here. Lord, there's Christians here that need to be built up in their faith, and they need to be blessed by the Word of God. And there's non-Christians here too, Lord, that need to be saved. They need to repent. They need to believe in Jesus for the very first time. So God, would you just minister to everybody here in the specific ways they need to be ministered to? In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, there's a lot to dig into. And I think one of the questions that is begging to be answered from a passage like this is, what is most important in my life, right? Like some of you might be asking that question. Some of you have already got it figured out. But it is a question we're often asking ourselves every day. What is most important? What gets priority in my life, especially in our day and age? So here's a question I'm going to put up on the screen for you to look at. What in the world am I supposed to do with our culture? Can I get an amen? What am I supposed to do with this? You might be asking that question this morning. What in the world? Am I, how am I supposed to react? What am I supposed to do? There's so many things. There's so many exhausting issues going on right now. Can I get a witness? There are so much, there's so much perceived division. I don't know if that's really true or not. It's perceived within our culture. That It frustrates us. It makes us want to pull our hair out. What am I supposed to do? When I know through this little device right here, I know almost everybody's opinion about everything, and it's exhausting. Can I get a witness and amen? What am I supposed to do when I, back in the day, I mean like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, depending on how old you are this morning, back in the day, you didn't have... Access to everybody's opinions all the time about everything, and there was bliss in ignorance. Can I get an amen? Right? There was just a nice thing about living in a culture where you didn't know everybody's opinions about everything, and you didn't have up to the second news updates. So, what's the answer? What in the world am I supposed to do about this culture that I see around me? I think Paul's going to address it. So, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul has been dealing with the Corinthian church in a ton of different topics. Okay, so chapters 1 through 14 of 1 Corinthians have been filled with Paul addressing really important issues. Issues like this, Christians suing other Christians, right? That's a problem. Two Jesus followers going to law court against one another Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? (laughs) Paul was addressing that. Paul was also addressing sexual immorality in the church. He got a lot of sexual problems, deviant sins going on in the church. Paul had to address that. Paul had to address church discipline. He had to address old pagan worship habits that people had. People were still going to the markets. They're still buying all the old idol stuff, and it was a problem. It was an issue at church. Um, Paul had to address women's fashion at the church okay isn't that a fun topic to deal with right like like hey ladies we're going to talk to you about all that you're wearing and everything that's going on and what's with the earrings and what's with the hair and what's with the stuff right Paul had to deal with that it's exhausting okay Paul was also dealing with the abuse of spiritual gifts and tongues so you come to church everybody's speaking in tongues charismatic bill it's crazy everybody's like i don't know what's happening we don't know if 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 they're supposed to be interpretation of tongues what's happening with the church paul's like i'll take three chapters to address this issue right so it's almost like oh yeah sorry not to forget one communion they were messing up communion the corinthian church was messing up communion they weren't doing it right right that's a big deal in in the christian church you gotta get communion right Get it right, church, right? And Paul's writing about it. So Paul's addressing all these secondary issues, right? He comes to 1 Corinthians 15, and you can almost feel Paul just exhale. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Can I get a parent amen? (sighs) I don't know what else to say. I don't know how else to address this problem, but I am just, you can feel Paul just exhaling and saying, okay, can we reset Can we get a reset button here from Staples? Is is Staples still a company? They still exist. Okay. The reset button, the red button, you know. Can we just reset and talk about what is most important, church? Because right now, I'm so tired addressing all these important but secondary issues. I need to just stop and let's just breathe and talk about the gospel as being the most important thing. I like the Apostle Paul. Paul. Because that speaks to my heart. So it is today. Did you know we have secondary issues in our culture that are important but secondary? All right, I'm going I'm to flip and see if we can uh, see some of these. All right, here's just a few examples, right, of things that are secondary but important issues in our culture. All right, you've got COVID policy. All right, I'm sure everybody would give a hearty amen if we could just stop talking about it, but we can't, right? It's just become an obsession. Mass mandates, foreign crises like Afghanistan and Haiti. Very heavy on all of our hearts as Americans as we see the news every day, every moment on our feeds and our phones and our TVs. Very important stuff. Ongoing racial issues. You know, we still have racial tension in our culture. We have social media use, like, like addiction to this stuff. This is, this is an addiction tool potentially in your life. Um, we also have phones and technology. How do we handle them? Obsession with youth sports, okay? My sports sermon is coming. I got it sitting in a folder, and I am like, I've, been have, I've had it ready for like three years, and it's going to come one of these Sundays. I'm just going to preach about sports, and you're going to be like, I don't like sports, but you know, like, it's okay. Just let me have my moment if I can, because we have this youth sports obsession in this culture. All right, all these things, are they important? Yes, every single Christian would say, these are important topics within our culture. You know what they also are? They're secondary. And some of you Christians are miserable because you have made these secondary issues primary in your life. You are obsessing over these things and not your Bible's. You are obsessing over these topics and not the grace of Jesus that reached you. You are obsessing over some of these topics that, you know what? You can't change them. Amen? You you are not, nobody's calling you on the phone. President Biden is not calling you on the phone to ask for your counsel about Afghanistan. He's just not. But you know who does want to talk to you this morning? Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, wants to talk to you, and you're like, Jesus, I know you're there. I'm just going to stiff arm you because I really need to worry about Afghanistan, which I can't control. You see what I'm saying? You see how foolish that is? Our hearts, John Calvin said, are factories of idolatry. We run towards secondary issues and we want to make them primary. And it's like we can feel Paul talking to us this morning and saying, Church, living waters, breathe. Exhale from all these social pressure issues, all your health issues, all your stuff that you're just obsessing over and relax, breathe, and get to what matters the most. Namely, Jesus and that message called the gospel. So, It's almost like we can hear this verse in the sermon itself, Psalm 46.10. Be still. It's like Paul's stopping and he's saying, be still and know that I am God. Hmm, that's good. Exalted among the nations, exalted above the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Some of you need to take Psalm 46.10, put it in your memory list this morning and and get a memory verse knocked down this week because some of those things we can hear it paul is saying be still and know that there is a message that is of first importance be still and know that there is a message that is greater than the secondary issues that are pressuring your life okay know that there is a message that satisfies your soul the way no other human thing can know that there is a message that is accompanied by the power of God, and there is one message that does that, and it's called the gospel. Okay, Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for what? It is the power of God unto salvation. That's good news. Your social media post does not carry that kind of power. The news does not carry that kind of power. Your your struggle doesn't carry that kind of power. There's only one message that should be primary in the life of a Christian that has the power of God with it, and it's the gospel. The highest density of God's supernatural power (laughs) resides in the gospel message. And that's the best news in all the world because... When we get caught up into secondary issues, we have the worst time. Because God's not in the secondary issues. Those those issues need to be addressed with the gospel. But they're not the gospel. Does that make sense? So I told a guy this week, I said, hey, love you. And, And everybody's in different places with a lot of issues. I said, but for every one conversation you have about this particular issue... You should have 10 conversations about the gospel. How about that, Christian? How about we start talking about the wrath of God and the holiness of God and the goodness of God and the beauty of Jesus coming to the earth as the Son of God? How about we begin having more conversations about Christ's perfect life and then his death on the cross and then his resurrection and then his drawing wicked, proud, arrogant sinners like us, drawing us into His love through repentance and faith. How about we have more conversations about that? I think our society would be much better off if we, for every one conversation about a contemporary issue, we had 10 about Jesus. So now, here's, here's where we're going this morning. Here's the heart of this passage, and we'll dig into the passage. Trust me, we'll get there. When the gospel of Jesus is accepted into your heart, received into your soul, your life will change. It will be transformed. Notice I did not say perfect. Can I get an amen? You don't see the word perfect there. All right, if I believe and I receive Jesus Christ, his message, his death, burial, resurrection, my life is going to be different, changed, and transformed, not perfect. Because we all struggle, don't we? Amen? I mean, every single one of us has big sin struggles. So our circumstances change too. How many of you have said, I wish my circumstances were different? I wish God would make my circumstances different. Why does God make me go through this circumstance and nobody else, it seems like nobody else, is going through this? Because God is trying to show us that our hearts and souls, when we believe in Christ, the gospel does not rely on circumstances. The gospel is good whether my circumstances are good or not. Amen? Jesus is risen from the dead and the King of kings and the Lord of lords whether or not my circumstances suit me the way I want them to. When we begin to understand the gospel in that way, we're free. We're free from circumstances. Not that circumstances don't pressure us, push us, change us. Praise God they do. But we, when we get the gospel, there is this transformation, change. So this morning, I want you to see that the gospel is life-transforming, and I want you to see three aspects of that transformation. Okay, So that's where we're going this morning. Aspect number one of this life-changing gospel is that it is a process. Okay, It is a process. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached, which you received, which you stand in, And by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that we preach to you. So, what Paul is saying is that this is a process, right? There is preaching involved in the gospel. You got to have a preacher, you got to have a receiver, right? Someone has to receive the gospel if they're going to really get the gospel. They got to receive it personally. And then he also says that you got to stand in the gospel or you got to hold fast to the gospel. Do you see a magic bullet here in verse 1 and 2? No. The gospel is not some magic bullet. Pray this prayer, the sinner's prayer, and your life will be good for the rest of your life. No, 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 no. Paul is saying, look, the gospel is a process. You got to have a preacher who preaches the Bible. You got to have a preacher. Now, you're like, "Well, you're the preacher." No, don't misunderstand Christianity. If you're a Christian, y'all are preachers. Amen? You know what God's plan is to reach the world? Christians. <laughs> like, like, it seems like a foolish plan because look at us. Look at us. We're a mess. This is God's plan. There is no plan B. You are plan A, no plan B. If you know Christ, you are called to preach the gospel. You are called to share the gospel. And in the midst of that, preaching is required in the process of the gospel. So if your life is going to be changed, you got to preach. (coughs) Consider Romans 10, 14. Paul says this, how can they call on someone in whom they've not believed in? How can that happen? It can't happen, right? And how can they believe on one whom they've not heard about? How can you believe in somebody you've not heard about, right? Very practical. And then how will they hear without someone preaching? So Christian, the person that God wants to use to reach your neighbor is not pastor so-and-so. Not always. It's you. You are the person God is calling to reach your neighbor for Christ. You're the person. You know, you got drugs across your street. You got shootings in your neighborhood. You got whatever you got going on. A lot of neighborhood drama, whatever. Who is the person that's going to reach those people for Jesus? You are the preacher you go preach the gospel so they can at least hear it, whether they respond or not. Christians need to be giving the gospel out. So there's preaching. There's also receiving. Okay? The, 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 the Corinthians received the message. And this reminds us of Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be what, class? Received by Okay? So Jesus came in order to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and we are there's a reception that is needed. You've got to receive the, the Bible. You've got to receive the gospel. Okay? There's a lot of sports going on, and I don't care what sport you're talking about, softball, baseball, football, basketball, whatever. Balls get thrown, don't they, in these sports? Balls get thrown. I mean, if someone's throwing you a ball, and they're on your team, right, they're trying to probably do something good in your life. Amen? Right? Can I get a sports amen? Right? So, so there's a ball coming to you, right? What do you got to do to be successful, right? You got to receive the ball, right? If you're a, a sport that is involved with a ball, someone's throwing you the ball and you're like, no, right? Boom, kick the ball out. You're, you're doing all kinds of crazy things with the ball. You're not receiving the ball. You are not going to be on that field or that court for very long. Can I get a sports amen? It's not going to happen you got to receive it. That's the same way with Jesus. You can't become a Christian without personally receiving what Christ has done for you in your life. right? You can't, we can't indoctrinate right, and, and make this work. This has to be a personal thing between you and Jesus. Okay? Now look, we try to indoctrinate ourselves, don't we? And we try to indoctrinate our children. Praise God for our kids for truth ministry. What is that? It's an indoctrination program. Praise God, right? We're trying to get the Word of God to kids as much as possible so they understand the Bible, and they understand the Ten Commandments, and they understand Jesus, and hopefully they get saved. And we're a big fan, Julie. We're a big fan of Kids for Truth. But ultimately, what does it take for a kid who's in Kids for Truth this fall to really get saved? What does it really take? It takes God's grace at work in that child that that, that, that boy or girl to say, I don't need mom and dad to tell me all these things. I don't need my head filled with all this knowledge. I need to make Jesus real to me, right? And adults, you're not off the hook. Some of you in this room have not personally received Jesus yet. Like you haven't repented personally, and it's just, it's, it's got to be received. It's a process. You have to receive the gospel personally, and then you have to stand and hold fast. So you can see that as well, where Paul says we have to stand in this gospel, we have to hold fast to this gospel. True Christians, once you pray a prayer and receive Jesus, like you want it to be just smooth sailing to heaven, right? Isn't that how we all are? Like, yeah, okay, I'll repent, I'll believe, but like, seriously, God, I just want it to be easy the rest of the way. And then you discover that with Jesus, it's not easier. In fact, it's often harder. And you're like, I got gypped, right? (laughs) Like, this is hard. And that's what Paul's saying. You have to not only profess Christ and receive him, but you got to hold firm. You got to stand with Jesus, even when it's hard. And Jesus guaranteed that it will be hard. So for some of you Christians, I just want to encourage you with Peter's words here. He says it in 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to encourage you and testify that this is the true grace of God, this gospel. Stand firm in it. Okay. Now listen, Christian, in the the type of world we live in today with our society, Christians are not called to the next five years to try to entertain the masses, make sure church is just perfect for you, all that kind of stuff. The next five years of Christianity, in my opinion, just my opinion, Christians will need to stand with Jesus more than we have ever been called to stand for Jesus before. Because if you have a society that's running away from God, running away from Jesus, and all of a sudden becoming a believer in Jesus is not a favor, it is a challenge, we don't need to do a lot of fancy things. We just need to stand our ground and say, We're with Jesus. Amen? Here's what I mean <coughs> this is another illustration. This was a quote from an Afghani believer just this week. An Afghani believer was interviewed and said, "Hey, a lot of the crazy things happen in Afghanistan right now. How are you doing?" This was the response. "Most of us will likely be meeting Jesus face to face in the next 2 weeks and we're ready." Right now, in Afghanistan, pastors are being targeted by people who don't like Jesus very much. And they are saying, we know who you are, we know your names, and we're coming for you. Look at this attitude. Most of us are going to meet Jesus in two weeks, and we're ready. Contrast that with American Christianity, and it's unsettling. It's unsettling how weak our faith is. It's unsettling about what we're not willing to stand for in this day and age where we have freedom and we should take advantage of the opportunities we have to worship God freely. Because it's not always a guarantee that this building will be open and it's just going to be free-flowing and it's all going to be great. There could be a day where we will be asked... Whether we're Christians or not, and if we say that we are Christians, it could be detrimental to our lives. So believer, I'm asking you to consider the reality that the gospel is a process. You don't just believe in Jesus and pray the prayer. You have to stand by his grace. And may God give us the grace to stand. Aspect number two of this life-changing gospel is content. Content. All right, the life-changing gospel has content, verses 3 through 9. Paul talks about the importance of Christ dying, Christ being buried. He was raised from the dead, and he appeared to a lot of people, 500-plus people, plus the apostles, plus Peter, plus Paul himself. So pa- Paul is saying, look, there is content to this message. All right, so the gospel is not just this easy, free-flowing sentence filler that you use to fit in with Christian culture, right? So it's not just saying, hey, do you believe gospel? Oh yeah, man, gospel, gospel. Is that that like the secret password at Living Waters to be accepted? Because like, yeah, gospel, I'll take it, you know? No, no. The gospel is not just some term that we throw out there as an empty filler for bogus information, right? When we say gospel, we say it has content content. There is significant content to the gospel. Mainly this, Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again, and Christ appeared. I would also add Christ ascended, right? But if I say, hey, write down a two-sentence definition of the gospel, it freaks me out how many Christians in our church would struggle with that, like They would struggle to write out in a couple sentences what the gospel is. That freaks me out as a pastor, just so you know. And that's my job, to help you uh, answer that question better. But I want to say it's Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. He appeared. Let's just go through it. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins, verse 3. Right? That means Jesus was worthy on some levels, to pay for your sin, on some levels, Jesus lived a life where His death would be a substitute for your sins. This is an amazing thing. The the uh, the John the Baptist, the great prophet, he said it this way in John one twenty nine. He said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Okay, so so John looks at Jesus and says, "My cousin, humanly speaking." is the lamb of god the worthy sacrifice for the sins of the world so i want you to think through the gospel that christ died for you think about all the wickedness all the sin all the pride in your heart and life jesus took every ounce of it every ounce of it at the cross that's good news for you and me because you know why someone's got to pay someone has to pay for our sins either us or somebody else, and praise God, Jesus took all the wrath of God on himself. So here's another verse that is uh, really common and a really good one for you to know, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteous of God in him. When Jesus hung on that cross, he became sin for us he became a curse. He took on all of what is wrong with us, and he freely took it on himself on the cross. That's an amazing, beautiful thing. What else is the gospel? Well, he was raised from the dead, all right? So Jesus was raised, verse 4, all right? So you can see there, it there in that verse. He was raised from the dead, which means that Jesus won, amen? He beat death. Jesus beat death, and here's what 2 Timothy says. 2 Timothy one ten says he abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. All right, this is an amazing thing. Jesus outlawed death. Can you think of one thing that you're more afraid of than death? Can you think of one thing that you're more afraid of? It might be a roller coaster at Adventureland, maybe. It might be the type of people that you run into at the Iowa State Fair. <laughs> I don't know what freaks you out, right? But I can't think of one thing that is more scary, more unknown, more, you know, dramatic than the moment you think about your death and what that's going to be like and how it's going to happen. All right, so here's the thing. Death is our greatest enemy. It is the greatest enemy that humans fight. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus raised from the dead, and he defeated the one thing that everybody's scared of the most, which is death. Praise God. This is the good news, that Christ raised from the dead. And in that, he says, you don't have to be anxious, depressed, or scared of your death. As long as you receive me, I will raise you from the dead, right? And there's a verse here that I also want to share, see if I can get this up. 2 Corinthians 4.14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, here's the promise, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. His resurrection was real. Jesus Christ is not dead. Amen? He ain't dead. He's alive. He is alive this morning. This might as well be Easter morning, right? Because Christ is alive. We don't have to wait till some Sunday in April. We can say it now. Jesus is raised from the dead. That's the content of the gospel. And then finally, Jesus appeared. Okay, he appeared. So Jesus not only raised from the dead, but he appeared to real people in real time. I mean, he's showing up to all these folks. If you look through the the passage, it's all the brothers, 500 brothers at a time. And you know the coolest part about verse 5? Is that, is that Peter or uh, Paul says, I'm sorry, verse 6. The coolest part about verse 6 is that Paul says, uh, Jesus appeared to 500 people, most of whom are still alive. Which means if you're a Corinthian church reader of this letter, you're like, dude, I could go and interview almost 500 people right here, right now, and say, did you see Jesus? Did you see him? And those people say, absolutely. That's cool. All right, Jesus, the power of the gospel is that it's not a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. This is very real. Acts 1, Acts one, three. consider this verse. It says, oh, let's go back. There it is. He presented himself alive, okay? To them, the disciples, after suffering by many proofs, okay? So if you remember this, many proofs. He showed up in real time to real people. And he said, Thomas, remember what he said to Thomas? Come at me, bro. That's what he said, right? Okay, he didn't really say that. He said, come and touch my hands and put your fingers in my side. Don't be doubting anymore, but only believe. And Thomas looked at the risen Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. He bowed down. Okay, Christianity is not based on fairy tales. I don't care what the world tells you. Hey, you're believing a fairy tale and this is all just thing. No, 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 no. No, this is a fairy tale, right? This is Disney princesses and all the little girls say amen, right? Can I get a little girl amen? These are all the princesses. Now, here's the thing about the princesses, right? The thing about this, this is fairy tale land. And some people treat Christianity as if, it's not more real than this. Some people in America believe that Disney princesses are more real than Jesus. Look at those stories. Yeah, you all know the stories, right? Here's the problem with these stories. All right? And I'm not I'm not here to rip Disney princesses. I'm just here to rip Disney princesses, okay? These girls never age. Ever. Ariel has looked like Ariel, the same Ariel, for 30 years. I'm like, you age well. That's good. Sleeping Beauty, longer than that. And then there's, there's like, uh, what's the one with the dwarves? Snow White. She's the oldest one, right? She looks great. She looks great. Okay, what's my point? These girls are fairy tales. All their stories end up beautifully. They never age. We never get to see a midlife crisis princess, (laughs) which I would find to be very fun and entertaining. All right, all the joking aside, when we believe in Jesus, we are believing in facts, not fairy tales. We believe that Christ died, that he was buried, he rose again, and then he appeared in real time To real people. And you know what? If you're a Christian, you can say a yes and an amen to say, you know what? He not only appeared to those guys, he appeared in my heart. Praise God, right? Because if you have a testimony of faith in Jesus, you have a moment in time when you said Jesus became real to me. And he's the realest person I've ever met. So aspect number three of this life-changing gospel is real change. And we'll close up quickly here. But, (coughs) excuse me. Paul says in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but indeed more so, I worked harder than everybody else. Everybody else I know, I worked harder than them. But it wasn't me working, it was the grace of God inside of me. The grace of the gospel is that it brings real change. Paul's life was really changed. Can I get a witness? That's what happened. All right. He said, by his grace, I am what I am. The grace of God is the unearned gift of God. Paul's saying, look, Jesus came into my life by his grace. He found me. He saved me. He knocked me off that horse. And he said, hey, you're a sinner and you need me. And Paul, and Paul said, yes, I do. I believe in Jesus, the resurrected king. And his life did a 180, like a total Turnaround. And so when you're talking about Paul's life, he's saying, look, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you know Jesus, that is freedom. Amen? Because you are who you are, and Jesus loves you anyway. And his love is not a pampering love. His love is a perfecting love. Praise God. He's out to make you more like Jesus, and that is going to be painful, but it's going to be real. Praise God. And so in the midst of this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 comes into our hearts, our minds. If any person is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away, behold, all things have become new. When you meet Jesus, you get to be new, all right? And all things become new. And so I want to, I got it. Anybody need me to get the phone? I can get it. Just kidding. All right. Nope. Somebody. Bill, is that you? I don't know. It might be. I don't know. I don't know. I I can't go on because I'm like, it'll just distract. You guys won't hear anything I'm saying. So I just, I want you to hear what I'm saying because I think it's in the Bible. So, okay, here's, (laughs) don't you love the grace of God? By the grace of God, our church is what we are, amen? Praise Jesus. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, I did a complete 180. And everybody who meets Jesus, you do a 180. You repent of your sins. You get right. Now, it doesn't mean your life is perfect. It just means it's different and changed, which means you start working out what Jesus is working in by his grace. And as that happens, right, there's great moments of mountaintop. There's the valley of the shadow of death. It's all in between. And you're just like, God, help me hang on because this 180 thing, I'm working hard. I am really, really working hard at becoming more like Jesus. That's good, but you're also saying, As I work hard, it's the grace of God at work in my life. As I work out my salvation, it is Jesus from beginning to the middle to the end. It is his grace that is empowering me to be different. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, it's like a dance, right? It's like a junior high dance. It's just awkward, you know, and the the, the girls are on one side, the boys are on the other side. They don't know how to dance. They don't know who's leading, Right? Right? But they, when they get together, it's awkward, but it's fun for the chaperones because they get to laugh. <clears throat> but here's, here's the beauty of what Paul's saying. When I come to the gospel, I see that it is God doing it all. Now, humanly speaking, I work, I, I work my tail off to become more like Jesus. I get in the word. I grow in grace. I go to prayer. I'm doing all of that. I'm working so hard because Jesus changed my life. And in the midst of my hard work... I say it's the grace of God. God gets all the glory because he's doing it all in me. And it's this beautiful dance of God's sovereignty and my responsibility and that's the beauty of the gospel. So as we close, we'll have Brandon come up here and we're just going to do some response time. So the gospel is life-changing. It is a process. Embrace the process. It has content. It has real content content to the message, and it brings about real change. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to respond to God, because responding to God is worship, practically. And we want to launch you into your week in a positive way. So you're going to have two or three minutes where, where Brand's going to play, band's going to play, and this is just your time. This is your time to respond to God. And that could look like 10,000 different ways. For some of you who are believers, you need to make the gospel your first priority again. Which means you need to confess some sin. You need to get some things right. You need to write some things down. Or type it in your phone. This is what I'm going to do this week to grow in grace. This is a verse I'm going to memorize. This is something I'm going to change. This is a person I'm going to reconcile with this is a conversation i'm going to have whatever that looks like for you i just this is your time to respond to god and if you're here and you don't know jesus this is like your moment to receive stop hitting the ball out stop receive the ball jesus loves you he died for you he rose again but you have to receive so take these moments great time to get saved if you don't know christ I'll pray, we'll respond, we'll close. Father, thank you for this opportunity to respond to you, God. We pray for every person in this room that you would work in their heart in whatever ways you're working, whatever way your spirit is stirring inside of them. Lord, maybe it is a verse of scripture that they need to look up right now. Maybe it's a confession of sin. Maybe it's just worship. Maybe it's just praise. Maybe it's intercession for another believer. Maybe it's, I don't know, Lord. It's up to you. But God, would you just work during these few moments as we respond to you? May you take our heart and our minds and just mold it to your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Help us to respond to you now. May you be glorified in the responses. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.